one more announcement that I'll give as they are finishing their way out and those, some of our instrumentalists are still making their way back. Um, we have, um, some of you have just gotten back from down south. We have a few snowbirds that have returned and um, also some of you are a little bit newer to our church. I would ask you to stop by in the main entryway and there's some good information there about um, our remodel project that we're gonna be doing. We're shooting to do this in 2019, which means we need to bring in some monies in 2018. We have sent a letter out to just about everybody that's a part of our church explaining this. But if you'd like to be a part of that, and we need several folks to be a part of it, I'd ask you to pray if you've not already. And then you can see an explanation of that, how you can be involved um, with the giving project for the remodel. It will be a blessing to us, and it's quite a ways away, but it will be a blessing, I know, when it is done as we join together in God's house to worship. All right, let me go ahead and pray one more time and ask for God's blessing on our time in his word. Gracious Father, we would come to you as your children, knowing that you hear us. How good and sweet to know that you hear the voices of your children. How comforting to know that you know our thoughts and what we are thinking. And that what is on our heart, you know. We praise you, God, that you know us better than we know ourselves. Of all the concerns and cares that have been carried into this room today or those that might be listening over the radio or might be listening at some point in the future, we would ask, God, that you would allow us to come now to your written word and be encouraged by it. We thank you for how you have left us with so many things of encouragement in this world and the word of God is so wonderful for us to take and to jump into we see it as a mirror sometimes and we see our own reflection. Oftentimes we are challenged to live in a way that would better reflect your son Jesus Christ. And God, as we open it now, would you please clearly be involved in our presence? We thank you for your promise to do this and we claim that now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Conversations that take place about religion with folks that are not part of your church have a way of sticking in our minds. It's my guess that some of you have had a conversation about church or God, salvation, with someone who you weren't sure what their background was, or maybe their background was just different than yours, and has left an imprint that you will remember for the rest of your life. This was the situation that I had several years back on the job as I was uh, working um, not in a church, but in a, a secular job. And I was having a conversation with someone about church. And he gave me a response that I still can remember many years later, and I might remember uh, for as long as I have here in this world because it left an impact. As we were talking about church, he said these words to me, which immediately I tensed up and got defensive. He said, well, pretty much all churches are the same to me. They all kind of do the same thing, meet the same need. There's no difference. And some of you might get a little defensive when you hear that too. You might say, hold on a second. All churches are the same. Are you nuts? Maybe you wouldn't say, are you nuts? Maybe some of you would say, are you nuts? Right away, I was thinking, that's not right at all. You are way off on that. And we had a conversation about it. But those words, to me, all churches are pretty much the same. They've been burned in my mind to the point where I have had to observe church, church life, what I can gather from other churches. 
And I know we can get specific on how we define that uh, word church, and that would maybe help us um, have a better uh, opinion of it. But the truth is, as I've had opportunity to observe, there are some similarities that will carry over the vast majority of all churches, at least in our country. There are some lessons that all churches, even a church that doesn't believe what is right about Jesus Christ, him being the Son of God, and the work that he did for our salvation, even a church that doesn't have a, high, high, a very high view of Scripture, some of those will teach some lessons that, will, um, that we will have in common in the church that we will teach, and we have the right view of Jesus Christ dying for our sins so that we could have salvation and a very high view of Scripture we have here. And so when I come across passages like the passage that we're going to cover today, I ask myself, is there any application in this passage that would be different for our group getting together than for possibly another church that might not be straight on the major things that a church should be straight on? A message like, don't lie, don't steal, be kind to others. A message like, don't lose your temper. Well, these are popular themes in many, many churches. And so as we study it, is there anything that sets apart our message from another church that would not agree with us on those cardinal doctrines? And I would suggest to us that yes, there is. Even further than that idea, we live in a country that was founded upon Judeo-Christian values. There's a positive peer pressure in our communities and in our country to live with specific values. And these ones, don't lie, don't steal, don't lose your temper with someone, be kind. Those apply to Americans in some kind of a way. There are many good applications for today, but is there anything that we might look at our passage and learn something new or say our church is a little bit different at how we approach this? And the answer is yes, there is. And it's my goal today to try to convince you of that. If you're not already there, please take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I don't hear any pages rustling, so either you've already found it or else you're getting it on your device, and that's okay. You can find that on your device. It's a safe place here. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, let me back up and just do a little bit of foundational teaching that's going to help us to jump at these, I don't want to say elementary teachings because they're very, very important, but we all know these. But let me set a foundation for us as we approach this. We've been out of our series for a couple weeks now in Ephesians, so this will be helpful. Plus, if any of you were not part of when we started this, this is extremely helpful. In order for you to be successful at some of these teachings that we might consider to be basic teachings of what a Christian should do, in order for us to be successful at that, we must first know what God has done for us and as a result of what God has done, we need to know what we have become. Too often, churches and Christians will get it backwards. They come to understand that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and they ask God to save them, and they do that. And right away, they start on this list 
of things to do, and they try their hardest to work hard to please God, but they fail to realize what God has done and who he really is. And that's why Ephesians is very, very helpful. Because in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we find out who we are in Jesus Christ. And so, if you're one that's had a struggle with a certain sin, I'm trying not to make, not to make eye contact with anybody for too long here, okay? If you're one who's had a struggle with a certain sin, you need to go back at the first three chapters of Ephesians and see what God has done what you have been made in Jesus Christ and get the proper understanding of that. And then when we get into chapters four, five, and six like we are today, we can see how we are to walk. Too many people in their journey with Christ are um, hearing, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Do this, don't do this. And they get discouraged because they've been trying for years and they fail again because they haven't gone in the right order. As the Apostle Paul pens this, he says, this is who you are and what God has done. And that's why this book is so helpful. You have to have the root before you can have the fruit. That's a good quote there, isn't it? You have to have, I didn't make that up, by the way. You have to have the root before you can have the fruit. Let me go ahead and try to bridge this from our opening illustration. How is our message different today from others who have similar objectives? Well, I want to suggest this. When you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you are obedient in certain ways, when you put away lying, and put away stealing, and speak kindness, and forgive, when you do these things, what you are doing is you are looking back at what Jesus has already done. You're doing it out of an appreciation for the cross. But individuals that do not have a correct stand on salvation, they're looking at it differently. They are working hard, maybe even harder than you. Have you ever had an individual knock on your door in your neighborhood? And just a little bit within you says, well, I really admire their determination. You don't believe what they're teaching per se, but you admire their determination. I think that those kind of individuals will fall in the second category, other faith systems obey a moral code because they are still looking forward because they're going to try to convince God of something when they come to the end of their life. And you and I look back at the work that has already been done on the cross. Let me give you one illustration. I heard about a gentleman who was having a conversation about eternity with a pastor. And this was his idea of what's going to happen when it's time in the world is done. He said, I've got it in my head that when I'm done here in this world, God and I up in heaven are going to sit across a table from each other. And we're just going to have a conversation about my life. And right then and there, we're going to figure out if I did good enough to make it into heaven. Now, what he's saying has nothing to do with any Bible message of salvation. But what he's saying, very much so, sounds good if an individual has done a good job living a moral life. If you've paid your taxes and not gone to jail, you're ahead of a whole lot of folks, right? So when we think of that, that can be something that would be tempting to us. Now, last time we were in our study in Ephesians 4, we keyed in on how to put off the old man and put on the new. As long as we are in this world, 
We are a new creation, but we still have, you might remember that illustration if you were here of the construction site, construction site and the dust that flies over into the other area and you can wipe your hand and get some of the dust. That's the idea. We are a new creation, but sometimes that dust will come on us and it will be a struggle for us. And last time we talked about that and we talked about how to battle it by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, if I'm going to be successful at convincing you that our message of basic teachings is different from the message that many would give, I need to pull us back to what the theme in Ephesians chapter four here really is. You can narrow it down to one word. If you have a study Bible or notes in your Bible, you might have a word written at the top of chapter four. I do. Mine says unity in the body of Christ right there at the beginning of the chapter. So as we approach these things that are easy to apply, I'm going to ask you to try to tie this thread through each one of these. Paul is telling this local church to practice these things so that they could have, what did it say? Unity. Keep that in mind. It is not just don't steal so you don't go to jail. That's not the idea here. Paul is telling them these specific things so that the church would be strengthened. It takes a lot to make a church strong and for individuals to trust one another. And so when we look at this, it can be a challenge for us to remember the idea. Unity among believers is a major goal that he has. And I can prove that right from verse number 25. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That is deep verbiage there. We are members one of another. And if you can apply that to all these things that we're going to see, this grocery list of do's and don'ts, you're a member of this group here, and because of that, this is what you should do. If you're taking notes, really easy today. And also, a little bit different. When I come to the end of our message, I say, usually say, what can we do with this? Well, it's gonna be kind of peppered throughout. And so number one of what we can do is be honest in all things to build trust. Be honest in all things to build trust. I just read verse 25. The first half says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. This tells us that we are to exchange lying for speaking the truth. Now with this one and with every one that will follow of our main points, I'm not saying this means a Christian will never lie. That's not the idea. I'm not giving you permission to lie. But it's not saying here that a Christian will never lie, but instead let me give it to you this way. And I, th I think this will connect with many of us. I think instead of thinking this is a, if a person ever lies, then we question if he's a Christian or not. Instead, we need to ask if that's what we are characterized by. Am I characterized by a life that is a life of honesty? And by the way, that's not easy. Am I characterized by a life of an individual that is dishonest, that lies? You can lie a time or two and even make that back up and get to the point where you're not thought of overall as a dishonest person. But to do the second part, to speak the truth, 
And if I can tie it to the unity of believers, if you are going to speak the truth to build unity, that's gonna take a lot. That's going to mean that you're gonna be with brothers and sisters in Christ and you're going to have an opportunity to maybe let the blame go somewhere else. And I'll tell you exactly how that conversation goes. Someone comes to you and they say, someone has done this and this and this. And you know that that was you or that you were a part of that. And you can make a choice at that point to say, I know, I know, or not say anything. Or you can make a point, and this is what building unity by being truthful is going to look like. You can make it a point to say, I just want to let you know I was the one that did that. When you say somebody did that, I'm part of that group. You can stop them right there. And there might be a small price to pay when you do that. Maybe they won't like you right then. My experience is usually they'll get a whole lot more polite. Well, I'm not saying it's that bad, they'll say, if they know you're on the end of that. It'll be a little bit of a price to pay, but what you are sowing is so deep and so strong. What's gonna happen is down the road, that individual knows that when something comes up, you're going to own it. You're not going to allow somebody else to be blamed for it. And you can do that by silence, right? I didn't lie. I didn't say anything. You speak the truth by being intentional. And it's not just in not lying that we are going to be unified as a church. It's going to be by building trust, by speaking truth. And that's hard sometimes, but as I said, the payout is incredible when we look at that. We live in a world that is characterized by lying. It is. The world that you live in, live in is characterized by lying. I want to ask you a question, and I want to ask you to use your imaginations. I might have to reel you back in because this is dangerous to ask this question, okay? I want to ask you to use your imagination and think about this. Your initial response is going to be, that's a good thing, but if you think about it for a second, and the potential results, it could be disastrous. Here's the question. Can you imagine what, it, what might be the results if for one day everyone in the world told the complete truth? Think on it. Right away, yes. God is truth. Truth is good. We want tr- Think about it. What if everyone in the world for one day spoke the truth? Imagine the conflict between nations as this one was trying to trick this one or kill this one. And everyone spoke the truth. Imagine the friendships that would be broken. Imagine the business deals that would fall apart when everyone speaks the truth. Imagine the marriages that would break up. If for one day everyone were to tell the complete truth, we might have World War III on our hands. Here's the reason that I ask that question. We live in a world that is characterized by lying. If you can get away with it, then you do it. And that cannot and it must not be the Christian's philosophy. The Apostle Paul tells us what is needed for success in the church. We're not talking about the world here. We're talking about unity in the church. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, then he will lead you in truth. Let me tell, um, tell you a story. 
I, th- I thought I would never tell this story in public, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it. <clears throat> All of us have looked for an opportunity. If you're influencing a young person, if you have children or um, even others that you're trying to influence in a good way, you have looked for opportunity to show honesty in a, um, like a, rela- a cashier and customer situation. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So your kids are watching and the cashier gives you $2 back more or $10 too much back. And you get that money back and your kids are watching and you say, oh, you gave me too much change. And it's better than getting 10 bucks to teach your kids that it's better to be honest and for them to not get in trouble for having their drawer short. All of us have looked for that opportunity. I had an opportunity years ago and this was in my head. Okay, good teaching opportunity for my family. I ended up learning a pretty tough lesson from it. Having said that, we were at one of the big box stores as a family, and we were done and walking to our car. And as I'm walking to the car, I look down, and the family's in the car, and I see a $100 bill on the ground. And I'd never seen a $100 bill on the ground before. And I look just next to it, and I see another $100 bill next to it. And I see a third $100 bill. Now, since I'm preaching about truth and lying today, I am 99% sure that I saw a third $100 bill, okay? I'm, I'm almost confident, pretty sure. $300 bills that I found there. And I'm thinking, this is an opportunity to show my kids and my family. Now, I find money in the road, and I don't worry about trying to find the owner too much, but if somebody lost $300 in the parking lot of this store, and this was a store where they have everybody's name recorded that shops there, if somebody lost 300 bucks very possibly they might go in and say, did anybody find some money in the store? So that's in my head. And I walk in with one of my kids, and I say, found this money in the parking lot. I wanted to turn it in in case somebody said that they lost it, just like that. I said I'd never tell this story because I didn't want to lose my reward in heaven, but I think it's already gone anyway, if I want (laughs) it. So I turn in the $300, and my kid watches, and I leave my name and phone number with them. And uh, thinking that, you know, well, if nobody claims it, then they're going to call me and I'll come and get the $300. And um, a couple weeks go by and I call up and I said, did anybody ever claim that money of that $300? And they said, nope, nobody did. And I said, oh, well, I'm the one that turned it in. They said, oh, well, we gave that to our charity that our store supports. And so thanks, for, thanks a lot. Have a good day. And I hung up the phone and... and The lesson was, is next time, keep the $300, give them your name, and say, call me if anybody (laughs) gets this. Here's my point. Look for opportunities to build trust. (laughs) And whether my family thinks that was smart or dumb, which I think I know what they think, whether whether they think that was smart or dumb, they know that I'm not going to take some money that doesn't belong to me. And if you can connect this with somebody in a pew somewhere or in the fellowship, it is sometimes an investment to do something that's going to build trust with another. All right, let's go on to the second one. We'll go quickly through uh, the last ones here. Number two, if you're taking notes, avoid the danger that brings, or avoid the danger that anger brings. Avoid the danger that anger brings. Look at verse number 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's stop right there. Now, I don't have to talk too much about the, the sin of losing your temper and blowing up on someone. I don't have to. 
And so I'm not going to spend too much time meddling on that. I'm not going to go into the area of not letting the anger go down upon your wrath. I'm not even going to go into the area of be angry and sin not, because those are both good studies in themselves. But instead, I'm going to go to an area that it's borderline meddling, okay? This is going to be some of that stuff that, if you're listening, maybe at the dinner table afterwards, you might be talking with someone and saying, yeah, he made that point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But let me go ahead and press this to a direction that I think would be very, very helpful for us. Let me start by asking the question, why do people get angry? Why do folks get angry? It is because something was done to them that they don't like. And I only want to apply this to the local body, okay? So when it comes to the local body, when it comes to anger, anger within the local body of Jesus Christ is going to come when our expectations are unfulfilled in some way. So if you don't have very high expectations in the church, you can come in and you don't expect anything, it's all good. But oftentimes when you've made an investment, you're going to have an expectation of others. And when those expectations are not met, that can be a struggle sometimes. And this is the part that might be a little bit harsh. Because the truth is, when it comes to our rights, what rights do you really have? What rights do you really have to get angry with a brother or sister in Christ? Because you'll vocalize it. You'll say it out loud. I've seen that guy do it before. I've seen others on the receiving end of this. Or maybe this is better. Ask this question, what do I deserve? When you come into the church, ask the question, what do I deserve? According to God's standard, you're never, going, you're never even gonna make it into his kingdom unless you are completely laid flat and broken in spirit. Unless you are poverty stricken, you won't even make it into the kingdom. So we build on top of that and we don't get to the right where we can have some incredible expectation from another that gives us the permission to blow up at them. And I wanna give an illustration that talks about this and this is a very personal illustration for me. I was involved in this situation. Had a pastor friend years ago and this pastor friend was part of a, a group, a fellowship of other churches, probably 15 to 20 churches and they had good fellowship together. It's not in this area. They had good fellowship together and this pastor friend of mine, he just had a little bit of a different take on some things things you get involved with, nothing unbiblical. And as he went and had spent years with this group, with this fellowship, there came a point where these other pastors, who are good men that love Jesus Christ, that lead wonderful churches, but it came to a point where they kicked him out of the fellowship. And you don't know the details, so don't judge too quickly. But I knew the details, and I observed all this in real time. Fast forward 20 years later, I'm in ministry. I'm sitting across from this individual who is a, a hero of mine as a pastor. And I ask him this question. I had to get to a point where I could ask this question. I ask him this question. What did that do to you when you went through that? 
Did, did it break you down? Did you weep? Did you get angry? I wanted to know because I was aware of all of, that, all of what went on. And I said, what did this do to you when that happened? And I will never forget the response that he gave. And I did not understand it at the point he gave it, but I do understand it today. Here's what he said. He looked across the table as we were eating a meal together and I asked that hard question. And I wanted to know what was his response. And he said, Jeremy, you cannot kill what is already dead. And that was all he said about it. I wasn't baiting him to talk negative about somebody. I wasn't trying to tear the bandage off an old wound to bring that back up. He gave me the honest response, you cannot kill what is already dead. And that's what I'm getting at here. What do I deserve? And so the idea is if you don't have any rights, then you can't get too mad when somebody steps on those rights, right? Anger is a spirit of retaliation and the Lord Jesus Christ was the best example for us when he went to his disciples and all of them looked around and they knew that they deserved something. I deserve to have somebody that's down here wash my feet before I eat this meal. Who's gonna do it? And Jesus Christ is the beautiful picture as he grabs the basin and he grabs the towel and he washes their feet I would have loved to have seen that. But I have seen it. I've seen it in my head because I've seen individuals that are very important and very wonderful and very smart and I've seen those individuals stoop and wash the feet of others in my church assembly. I've seen Jesus Christ in many of you. That's what builds a church. Not saying I'm gonna get what I have coming to me It's stepping up, even when you need to be served and kneeling down and serving others. That is what builds a strong church. Number three, develop a work discipline that enables you to help the needy. And I'm not stretching this at all because we tell people all the time, you need to work, figure it out. In the day we live in, people don't know how to work. Some people's jobs is just going from one you know, uh, giving line, food bank line, food stamps line to another. And that puts stress on them. We tell people they need to learn to work, how important this is. But it, in, the, in the church body, it's not just that you need to work. You need to work so that you can give some of that money away to people in need. It's good to know the context of when the Apostle Paul wrote this and the amount of giving that took place in the name of God. That's very, very important we need to work so that we can help the needy. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When you become a Christian, Paul says you're to exchange stealing for sharing. And stealing is a problem that everybody has. When we think of this, the Bible talks about different kinds of stealing. Psalm 37, 21 talks about the non-payment of debt. If you have things in your home or you've eaten food and you sign an agreement saying, I will pay for that food later on, and you swipe it, and you find an out, you find a way not to pay that credit card debt or to walk away from that commitment that you made, 
That is stealing. Jesus said, you better render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. Pay your taxes. And we live in a country where you can do all kinds of protests and you can do everything, but it is not your right to protest by saying, well, I didn't know about that rule on my taxes, and so ignorance is bliss. Ka-ching, money in my pocket. You might get an extra 100 bucks. You might get an extra 5,000 bucks. And when an individual that does not know Jesus Christ has that fact about you lit up, what kind of a message are you sending? That money is more important to you than God. You're honest in all things. There's a lot of ways that you can steal. Another way that you can steal is by not paying fair wages to somebody who has worked for you. James 5 says that the cry of the workers reaches the very ears of God for those who have not been paid what they are due. You can steal in a lot of ways. The old man wants to steal. The new man does not steal. I'm going to ask you to participate and say this with me together. I'm going to give it to you twice. It rhymes, so I think it'll stick. Are you ready? Um, Let me say it twice. Let him who stole steal no more, but let him labor to give to the poor. Listen one more time. Let him who stole steal no more, but let him labor to give to the poor. You say it with me. Let him who stole steal no more, but let him labor to give to the poor. Nice job. That's the teaching in the church body. 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us that if someone is not willing to work, that he should not eat. And it goes on to say that if he is idle, it's not just that he's idle and doing nothing. Repeatedly through the scriptures, we find when someone is idle, it says there, um, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That's what happens. The old expression, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That is true. Keep busy. Number four, we need to be intentional with our words. We need to be intentional. What does intentional mean? It's not just a pat response. It's not just getting past. It's intentional. When I speak words to you, if you're going to remember them, what was my intent? Be intentional with our words. Look at verse 29 with me. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. You see the church picture there? As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen. Some of you hear something said. It's got a double meaning, maybe a a TV show or a movie or some people at work, and they'll say something that's got a double meaning, and you've got a dirty mind. And you go right to what that Filthy meaning was. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but can I tell you why that is? Can I tell you when, you when you hear that joke that that writer intended that your mind goes right to a bad place? It's because you have filled your mind with bad things. It's because you are filling yourself with things that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not of good report. So whether it be off-color jokes or whether it be profanity, which is sin, whether it be dirty stories or something else crude, there is no place in the life of a Christian for that kind of stuff. If you're wondering how your words are or if you're struggling with how your words are, write down this reference, Psalm 141.3. 
you need to improve with your speech, write down Psalm 141.3 and memorize this verse that says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Now, that's a great picture and that's a great prayer, but, and I'm, I wasn't planning on saying this, but can you imagine if we could really get that? Some of you that struggle with your mouth, if you could actually have God set a guard over your mouth and all of a sudden, whoop, got stopped, man, I'd pay a thousand bucks for that. That'd be incredible. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Why? So that we can have a strong church. Understand the stewardship of your words. When you say something, you might think nothing of it, but the individual on the receiving end might take that right to his heart. Or on the positive side, it might put wind in his sails and push him along. Matthew chapter 12 teaches us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me say that again. I just referenced it a little bit ago. Why do you say the things that you say and why do you think the things that you think? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God doesn't leave you with this crummy, junk-filled heart and you gotta figure that out. You can change it. You put the good stuff in. Garbage in, garbage out. Put the good stuff in instead. And then finally, let me challenge us, and I'm gonna go through a list here. Make deep investments in your Christian relationships. Make deep investments in your Christian relationships. Verse 30 through the end of the chapter. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do not rush past those last five verses. As God in Christ forgave you. We need to make deep investments with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says here, bitterness, that's that smoldering resentment. So you're not one that blows up. You got that anger one figured out. You just bury it. Oh, about right there. I bury it. And it smolders. Oh, then I add something else to it. It's gonna come out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Don't nod your heads. It's gonna come out. Do not allow that bitterness to have a place in your heart. Wrath, this is a wild type of reaction. I don't have to explain most of these to you except for clamor, okay? I know you all got Google on your phones. You can look up what clamor means. Let me tell you what clamor means. Clamor is a violent outburst. It's a yelling in public. Have you been in the store and somebody had had it and they go off on the kids i was driving this week it wasn't one of you i'm I'm safe to say this i was driving this week and i was with my daughter and there was some guy and he was giving the woman in the car what for and my windows were up so i couldn't hear him but i could tell what the tone was he was going off on her clamor is this violent outburst do you think that's going to have a price to pay regarding the unity and success in a church if that comes through? Holy smokes. We're not living in the days like the New Testament where they didn't have any other church they could go to. 
that dude can go right down the road and not be talked to like that. Let it not be named among you. And here's the deal. God was kind to you. God, catch these, God was tender-hearted towards you. God was forgiving towards you. And what is most helpful when we apply this to our church family is that when God did all these things, yes or no, did you deserve it? The answer is no. You did not deserve it. And so when you come to somebody else in the church family, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, if they deserve it, you can act this way. He says, act this way because this is how Christ treated you and you did not deserve it. And so be honest in all things to build trust. Avoid the danger that anger brings. Develop a work work discipline that enables you to help the needy. Be intentional with your words and make deep investments in your Christian relationships. Let me close with this illustration and it goes back, this is for all of chapter four really. I want to give you this picture of a bucking bronco if I can, okay? So picture a bucking bronco and when you think of the new man and the old man, I want you to picture that you're the bronco. So whatever color you wanna be, you be that color bronco, okay? Maybe you'll be white, maybe you'll have speckles, I don't know. We have some horse lovers here, I know. You're a, you're a bronco and when anger tries to get on your back, And when we live in this world, we're fighting the old man, okay? When unforgiveness tries to take a place on your back, don't ever allow yourself to be broken. Don't ever allow yourself to let anger or unkindness or unforgiveness to rest on you. You be a bucking bronco. I I, I read this illustration from someone else, and I thought, well, I can do better than that because a horse can be broken to where something can ride it. And that's not what we want as as Christians. We want to be bulls as Christians, right? Have you ever seen a bull get to the point where he's walking around, let somebody ride him? Okay, you don't get to be a bronco. You're going to be a bull, okay? Me and you, when that temptation to let anger rest on your back comes, you buck. Do not let it rest for a second. I went to a, a bull riding competition years ago. A friend of mine who liked that sort of thing. And uh, so I bought some tickets and we went to this bull riding competition. I never saw for one moment after that gate opened where a bull stopped bucking as long as someone was on its back. You take whatever application that we've gone over and you take that and you start to invest it in one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is gonna be incredible payback. In fact, what it's gonna be is the church marching forward with our banner high, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to him be the glory. And that is what will make the devil shake. Because the devil will tell you, you deserve this. Someone hurts you in this way, you can hurt them back. Don't say it out loud, but you can think this. Buck and buck and buck until nothing rests on you. Because as long as we're in this world, the old man versus the new man, the devil's never gonna stop to try to get something to rest on you so that you're ineffective in the church. That's where the power comes. That's the blessing. And the example is Jesus Christ. And how I will rejoice with you when you will tell a story about, you know, There was a day when I would have done this. 
But now when I think about that, I think about what Jesus Christ did to me. And can we get real here? Can we get real? You'll say, you know, I used to do this, but there was somebody in the church, and I've got, I've got a hundred stories like this. There was somebody in the church that treated me in a way that I did not deserve. You know what that does? Strength. Strong. That will build something that will make the devil shake. That's what I want in the day I live in. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we look to you, it's not, it's easy to say it, God. It really is. I know that I say it every week. It's not so easy to do it. There are some individuals here that struggle with one of these basic areas. God, would you work in their heart? Would you allow them to not be complacent with that and not allow that? Not just because they can be a better person, but because of the quality and success and power of your church depends on those that make up this wonderful church family. And so I would beg for holiness. I would beg for individuals that would walk in, not with the spirit of what do I deserve, but who can I serve? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, we spent a long time in God's word today. It might be that you are here and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we could ask him to forgive us and have a home in heaven and live with him. If you've never done that, let me invite you today. Let today be the day of your salvation. Maybe you're here today and one of these areas has struck a chord with you. I have already prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to be involved in those that would listen today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has struck something in you. I'm gonna ask Anna to play through just a short stanza on the piano and I want you to pray, just you and God.